Well, good evening, church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? I'm glad you came tonight. Glad that you're a part of everything that God is doing these days. And pray that God will just move in a powerful way among us in these moments that we have together tonight. If you have your Bibles tonight, I want to invite you to just get right into it with me. Would you turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15? And we're going to begin to read the scripture there this evening. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, and I'll begin reading with verse 1. May we listen, may we hear from the word of the Lord. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering. This man welcomes sinners, and he even eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Have you ever taken time to consider why the creator of the universe a righteous and holy, perfectly pure God would make the decision to come and take up residence here among us. Why would he do it? Why would he put on a flesh and blood body like ours and move into the neighborhood among all of us broken down Corvettes? Why would he choose to do it. And of course, immediately we say, well, why would God come and put on our form and, and move into our neighborhood? And we say immediately, well, he did it because he loves us. Amen? And he loves us because he can't help himself because God is love. Amen? But in the midst of saying all that that's really true, there are some assumptions that we make that are a little bit challenging because in saying that God loves us, Aren't we kind of hoping, at least on some level, that he loves us because we're kind of lovable? I mean, you're lovable, right? Would you turn to the person next to you and just say, you are so lovable. Just say that. You are so lovable. The only problem is we know the truth. Don't we? Down deep inside, we know we're really not all that lovable in our broken down condition. We say things. We do things that hurt people. Even the people that we love. 
we look in the mirror in the morning, and the first thought that comes to your mind when you stare in the middle, you in the mirror usually isn't, oh, you are so lovable. It's usually something more like, oh, God, help me, please. <laughs> and so why would he do it? Why would a holy God make the decision to put on our flesh and move into our neighborhood? When Debbie and I had just graduated from college, we took our first ministry assignment in Southern California. And so we moved into this little apartment and most of the young couples, there were many that were about our age that lived all around us there. Well, we just thought this would be a great ministry opportunity, but we soon came to realize that all of these young couples that lived in this apartment complex, they weren't quite like us. They weren't church folk. They were party folk. And they loved to party all the time. And so one night, Debbie and I had come home from uh, an event at church, and as we were walking up towards our apartment, we began to hear yelling. Not happy yelling, but angry yelling. And we got a little closer, and we noticed that it was a couple that was living two doors down from us, and they were screaming at each other. And we got a little bit closer and realized that she had blood all over the front of her shirt. And then we saw the man and realized that he was bleeding profusely out of his face and there was blood everywhere. And they were screaming at each other, I hate you. And then he began to scream, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And he turned and went back into their apartment. Well, at that moment, I'm thinking, what class in college was I in that prepared me for this moment? And there wasn't any. And Debbie immediately grabbed the, the young woman and, and took her into our apartment. And I went after Reggie and walked into their apartment. And, and there were just broken things everywhere. And there was blood on the wall. And Fortunately, we discovered that their baby was still asleep and had slept through the whole thing. Most of the fight, it appeared, had taken place in the kitchen. Everything was broken, and there was blood everywhere as he was beating her. She had finally gotten a hold of the glass blender, and she had just cut his face wide open. He was in the closet getting out his gun to kill his wife or to do something terrible, and so I grabbed hold of him, and he was bleeding so bad, got towels on his face, and I'm just trying to keep him from bleeding to death. And in just a moment, the cops showed up, and they just kind of stepped into the whole thing. And it was then that I noticed that there were no friends. All of their friends had locked the doors and had pulled the blinds, and they were the ones who had called the cops. And after that night, we realized that we were living in a different kind of place. And if we were going to continue to live in that place, we were going to have to reimagine why we lived there. We were going to have to begin to imagine ourselves as missionaries in that place. So, God the Son put on human flesh and moved in among 
the broken Corvettes. In the midst of our brokenness and all the pain, and he was intentionally saying to the whole world, we're not locking the doors, and we're not pulling the blinds, and we're not calling the cops, because he had come to be a missionary God. And I began to think about that and began to realize what that means, that our God is a missionary God. He has a missionary mindset. He has a missionary heart because he is a missionary God. And so then I've been thinking a lot about what that really means. Uh, here we all are all tonight. All the good folks of the church, you've gathered here. And we're the people who love Jesus, amen? Amen. We want to follow Christ. In fact, we call ourselves, what word would you use to call yourselves? We are Christians. And Christian means little Christ. That we want to be like Christ. We want to follow the ways of the Father. And so if we begin to think that we are the people who follow the ways of the Father, who want to be like Christ, and our God has revealed himself as a missionary God. So our God is a missionary God and that therefore would make us a missionary people. Missionary God, missionary people. Would you say that with me? Missionary God, missionary people. It's what missionaries do. You think about the work of God our missionaries leave the comfortable places and they go to the, the difficult places to be the hands and the feet, the love, the grace, the forgiveness, the hope of Christ in the world. And Christ said, this is why I came. This is who I am. Missionary God, missionary people. And so this evening, I want us to take this passage and just allow the implications of it to kind of flow over us to inhabit us that we might begin to understand more and more who Jesus really is. Last night, I laid the question before you, do you know what Jesus looks like? Well, tonight I pray that when we're finished with this, there will be no doubt that you will know exactly what Jesus looks like. And so in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel, at this point, Jesus is well into his three-year missionary journey. And the crowds are huge at this point. They're great crowds of people that have come and they keep growing and growing, but there's a little bit of a problem that's developed here. The wrong people are coming and getting excited and enjoying being around Jesus. The wrong people, the messy people are coming and the church people, the, the religious people, quite honestly, are having a hard time. And, and if you look at it carefully, you can understand because Jesus had been saying some hard things. He'd been saying to all of them, take up your cross and follow me. Now think about that in a Jewish context. Lord, are you serious? Are you kidding me? We've all had an uncle, we've all had a neighbor, we've all had someone that we knew, that we loved, that was dragged out of their house, that was nailed to a cross. We stood there and watched as they screamed and died. And Lord, you're saying, take up our cross? 
in order to follow you? What kind of kingdom is this? This is hard, Jesus. This is really hard. And he kept saying other things that were hard. He said, if you want to be my disciple, but you don't hate your mom and your dad, your wife, your children, even your own life, you can't follow me. Lord, then who can follow you? How can we do this? This is so hard, it seems unbearable. And he said even more difficult things. If you want to be my disciple, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Lord, you've got to be kidding. This is offensive, Lord. What is the kingdom all about? How can anybody actually live into all that? But the other people, those people, the messy people, well, they were just coming and they were enjoying being around Jesus. And I thought a lot about that. As they were coming to be around Jesus, even though they knew that they were broken, they knew that they were the worst of the broken Corvettes. But when they were with Jesus, they always felt completely welcome. He always spoke truth, and they always felt love. He never spoke down to them, but he always spoke clearly about what the call of God was. And they felt completely accepted when they were with the Lord. They loved being with Jesus. Think about what it says in Philippians chapter 2. Look at this scripture with me. Here's what it says about who Jesus was. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's why they loved being with him. So who were these other people? Who were these messy other people? Well, the scripture tells us very clearly it was the tax collectors and the sinners. Tax collectors and sinners in that order. You see, the tax collectors were the most hated people in all of Israel right behind the Romans. The tax collectors mostly were Jews who'd taken a job working for Rome. They were collecting taxes. They had a job to do, and Rome had given them all of the military authority that they needed to be able to take all the money that they wanted. Rome got its share, and the tax collectors got the rest, and nearly all of the tax collectors had become incredibly wealthy. They were traitors. They were hated. They were the worst of the worst. And so you had... The sinners, whatever that meant, whatever they'd done, and, and you had the tax collectors. Well, I, I've been thinking that they loved being around Jesus. There was something amazing about all of that. And, and so I've been thinking about what that might be like in, in our day. And specifically, I got to thinking about today and in the context of Tatchby Nazarene. 
What would it be like if Jesus, for just a little bit, decided that he was going to come back to earth and he was just going to set up shop in Tehachapi? Wouldn't that be cool to have Jesus in Tehachapi? That would be kind of a cool thing. And so he walks into Pastor Rob's office one day and says, Hi, Pastor Rob, I'm Jesus. <laughs> That'd be a pretty cool meeting, wouldn't it? He says, I'm going to be in Tehachapi for a little bit. During the week, I'm just going to do my Jesus thing. You know, blessing, healing, feeding, all those things that I do, teaching. But on Sunday, I'm just wondering if it'd be all right if Jesus the Nazarene came to the Nazarene church and if I could just kind of hang out here, and oh, by the way, if you don't have anything going on really special, I'd preach for you if you wanted me to. I don't think he could say no to Jesus, do you think? <laughs> and so on Sunday, Jesus shows up. And you can imagine the word would get out because you'd even invite people to church if Jesus was coming, wouldn't you? And so you can just imagine he's been out there doing his Jesus thing all week. First service, 9 a.m., this place is packed. I mean, people are standing along the walls. It is awesome. There are people in here that have never been in church in their life. And the worship team, they are just doing a great job. And there's this incredible spirit. And then finally, you finish the last song. And Pastor Rob gets up and, and says, thanks be to God. Praise a, little pra praise a little prayer and says, now that I want to introduce our speaker for this morning, Jesus Christ, come and bring the word. The living word. And it's this incredible moment. It's the greatest day in the history of Tinas. It's awesome. Both services are just jam-packed. But afterwards, as everybody goes home, and you're thinking, this is just fabulous. We're already planning. Next week, we've got to have three services, right? Got to have three services to be able to get all the people in. But as all y'all that are so faithful are going out, you begin to notice that there's, there's cigarette butts all over outside. And there's some beer bottles. And you even found a needle out there. Oh, my goodness. Well, God help us. It's going to be okay. And so you get ready. The next week, there's three services. And all three of them are just standing room only. And you're thinking, you know, i got to get there early because I just want to talk to Jesus this week. I just want to be able to walk up to him and say, thank you, Jesus. You saved my soul. I can't imagine what I'd be or where I'd be if it weren't for you. I just Would it be all right if I just gave you a hug today? But you get here like 30 minutes early, and you have to park like across the highway because there's so many people here. It's unbelievable. And you never even get close to Jesus that day. There's so many people, and you begin to identify some of the people that are here. There's like some drug dealers, and there are alcoholics, and there are a lot of people that are bad people. There are kids here that you don't let your kids hang out with. And they've just filled the place, and they're just all around Jesus, and, and they just seem to love him, and he seems to love them. And he speaks truth, but they listen, and they're open and it's this amazing thing, and so the day is absolutely incredible. Three services. But now then, as everybody leaves, I mean, there's just a mess everywhere. Kids that took crayons and did graffiti on the walls, broken beer bottles and cigarette butts everywhere, and, and a bunch of needles this time, and there's just all kinds of messes. And it takes all of you two hours to clean it up. 
And suddenly Jesus, it's really good to have him here, but it's not quite as fun as it was last week. And so the third week comes along, and now it's really cold up here, and it's kind of rainy outside. And you get here more than 30 minutes early, and you have to park way down the highway now because there are such crowds and it's raining, and it's cold, and you're drenched by the time you get here, and you never even get inside the sanctuary. You're standing out there somewhere just trying to get a glimpse of Jesus, and everybody finally leaves, and there's such a mess that some of you want to come to Pastor Rob and say, Pastor Rob, would it be all right if you just asked Jesus to visit the Baptist next week? Because having Jesus isn't what we thought it was. It's harder. It's messy. And we almost resent that he was here. Because of all the mess that we've got to clean up. See, I think that's, that's what the religious folks were feeling. They had this idea of what it would be like when Jesus showed up. That Jesus would surely say, could I come to your house for dinner? Could we just have a church potluck? We won't invite the other people, just Jesus and the church people. And we could just sit together and he could say, I love you all. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for all that you've given and all that you've sacrificed. And there'd be this sweet time of God's people and God himself. But it just doesn't really seem to go that way. And it's harder than you ever imagined. But Jesus begins to say, well, this is the Jesus that I've always been. I'm just not the Jesus that you imagined that I would be. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's even disappointing. When I was a little guy, probably about three years old, our church uh, began to advertise this big Christmas program that they were going to put on for all the kids. Invite all the neighborhood kids. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have all kinds of games and all kinds of food. It's going to be awesome. Oh, and by the way, Santa Claus is coming to town. It's going to be fantastic. We couldn't get Jesus, so we're going for Santa Claus. And so the day came, I was really excited. I remember it, even as a little boy, I was so excited. And so we all got there, and, and, and there were great games, and there was great food, and it was awesome. And then all of a sudden, there was this moment where it was, ho, ho, ho. And here he came, the suit, the, the white beard, the, the bowl full of jelly. He comes in, and the kids are just screaming and going crazy, and everybody gets lined up, and they all sit on Santa's lap, and finally it's my turn, and I climb up on his lap, and I look in his face, and I start crying, in fact, wailing. You're not Santa Claus. You're just my Uncle Charles. And I ruined a Christmas for a whole lot of kids that day. <laughs> because he was not the Santa I had imagined. He was not the Santa that I came to see. And I was disappointed. The people in Jesus' day who were the church people, the religious people, they were disappointed. 
and it was more messy and it was more difficult than they had ever imagined. And so he tells them this what if story that they would all understand. What if there was a shepherd and he had a hundred sheep and one of the sheep got lost? We're not told in the story how the sheep got lost whether he had a bad experience in sheep Sunday school or whether he was just a naughty sheep or we just don't really know, but he just got lost. He'd wandered away. And so the shepherd had to go after him. And he leaves the 99, and there is this implied sense that the 99 are left alone maybe on the hill, and there is at least some implied risk that they were being left alone. And the shepherd goes and goes into the dangerous places until finally he finds the one lost sheep. And immediately puts it on his shoulders and he posts it on Facebook and he calls all of his friends. We're going to have a party. I have found the lost lamb. Come to my house. It's going to be awesome. And it went on to say that there was great rejoicing. In heaven. We're not really told if the other sheep were all that happy about it or not. They don't even get mentioned. But there was great rejoicing in heaven. And so I began to think, well, who are who are the ones who are rejoicing? Well, it's the heavenly host. It's the other sheep hunters. It's those who are fully engaged in the mission of God to seek that the lost might be saved, that they might come and find Jesus. And so it begins to reveal this sense of a God that is very different than we might have imagined. And so we begin to try to take in the scope and the sequence of this story And we have to confess that this is one of those stories in the New Testament, one of the many that just kind of make us uncomfortable. I'm real uncomfortable with this story. I I just kind of like to skip over this story sometimes, except that it's right there and we've got to deal with it. Because we all know who the good shepherd is. The good shepherd is Jesus. And so then the 99 are who? It's us. But here's the good word. You're the good sheep. You're the good sheep. You've been faithful. You didn't wander away. You're here. You've been the people who desired to be like Christ. You're the good sheep. But there then begins to be these other questions that begin to be raised because Jesus seems to be revealing what kind of God he is He is so passionate for the ones who have wandered away. He is God of all. He's omnipresent. Theological terms, you get that? He's God everywhere, all the time. He's not here. He's not there. He's God all the time, everywhere. But he says, what if? What if I could only be in one place at one time? And what if... Among all the sheep, there was only one that wandered away, though there are countless that have wandered away. If there was only one, and if I had to choose, I would go after the one. Really, Lord? Are you saying that tonight, on Tuesday night, in the middle of this renewal week, 
that if you had to choose, you wouldn't come to revival? You'd be out there somewhere? Lord, that's hard. That's hard. That's a difficult word to to be able to deal with. And so the people in Jesus' day were struggling. They were grumbling. And sometimes we feel when we really face that Jesus that it's a hard word for us to be able to deal with as well. Because we love lost people. Amen? Now you can just say it. We love lost people. Amen? We love them a lot. Amen? We really do. We care about the lost. So then I've been thinking in the light of this conversation that Jesus had with these religious folks that were kind of up against the hard truths that he'd been giving to them, what do we do with this? How do we begin to measure our love for the lost? And I think I can help us all tonight. I think it goes a little bit like this. Let's just say that this Sunday you all show up for church, 9 o'clock, first service. You all walk in. You're all ready to go. You are so excited. It's been a good week. But Pastor Rob doesn't show up. Don't know where he's at. And, And the worship team isn't here. Don't know what happened to them. And so there's no songs and no sermon. So you you all have showed up, and and you're all ready to worship the Lord, but there's no worship, no songs, no sermon. What would happen on a Sunday like that? Well, I imagine about 9.15, I'd get a call. I've gotten that call. There's no songs, and there's no sermon. There's no worship today. Pastor Rob, this is unacceptable. You got to fix this. That's how it would go if there was no worship. So let's take it the, the next logical step. So this Sunday, y'all show up 9 o'clock, and Pastor Rob, he is on fire. Preaches the greatest sermon he's ever preached in his whole life. I mean, he is just, woo, he, he is bringing it. And the worship team is the greatest they've ever been and the spirit is just flowing and you just kind of float out of here because the presence of God has been so intimate and so real. But discipleship just goes away. Fabulous worship, but zero discipleship. Not really sure what happened, but Sunday school, Bible study, all of the rest of that, great worship Pastor Rob's on fire, but no discipleship. What's going to happen? I'm pretty sure the first Sunday I'm not going to get a call. Second Sunday, third Sunday, fourth Sunday, maybe a couple of months in, a little ways along the way, somebody's finally going to call me and say, Pastor Rob, Pastor Rob's on fire. He is bringing it. Worship team, they're, they're awesome. But there's something wrong at our church. There is no discipleship. There is no depth in the word where people are being mentored and discipled and this is unacceptable and you've got to fix it. So let's take it to the next level. So you all come on Sunday and it's absolutely amazing. He's on fire. They're on fire. The spirit is moving. It's awesome. 
And discipleship is the best that you've ever known. You have never sat under Bible teaching and Bible lessons and Bible encouragement than you are experiencing in these days. It is remarkable. Great preaching, great worship, great discipleship. But zero evangelism. Zero. You are being fed so well. You are learning about Jesus. It is this remarkable time preaching, worship, discipling. But there is no outreach, no evangelism. How long before I get a call? I've been doing it nine years and I haven't gotten that call yet. And I've gotten a call about everything. And you can believe me when I say that. But I haven't gotten that call yet. And we do love lost people. We really do. But somehow we have to see Jesus for who he really is. That he is this resurrected Lord who has revealed himself as this missionary God who is calling us to be a missionary people that our hearts would be as broken for those who are far away as his heart is. How then would we go about it? Where would we begin if, if we actually tonight collectively as a, as a group of Christ followers said, that's what we want. We now know who Jesus is. He's not hidden. He's not in the shadows. He has told us exactly who he is. And he's called us to be sheep hunters. He's called us to be a missionary church, to be a missionary people. So where would we begin? And I want to give you very simply this evening just a few things that I think can help you. Number one, I just want to ask you, this is something that you need to be able to say to each other regularly where you need to hold each other accountable and encourage one another. What's your temperature for lost people? What's your temperature for people that are far from God? Let me help you with that. Let's suppose this morning, I hope it's a few of you at least, you woke up and the very first conscious thought that you had was of someone who's far from Jesus. And the first words that came to your mouth was, Jesus, help them. Jesus reached them. Jesus loved them. And you just began to think about people that were far from God, people that, that, that are desperate, that are so broken in their lives. Maybe you made a few phone calls and you're just always thinking about it and you're always engaged. And the last thought before you go to bed is, Jesus, be with them protect them, keep them close, love them, you're 10. It's always on your mind. On the other end, you love Jesus and, and you really do love lost people. But you would say, Pastor Rob, I, I don't honestly know the last time that I prayed for a lost person. I don't actually know the last time that I thought about lost people, the last time that I was reaching out to people that I knew were far from God. You're a one. It's not a criticism or, or praise for. It's just, it's where we're at. And so you, you can't go from one to ten. You can't come to a service like this and say, woo, I'm a ten now. 
But you can begin to pray that God would help you to raise your temperature one degree. Just one degree. And so you begin to pray and you begin to be open. And, and you'd honestly say that tonight maybe I'm a, I'm a three, but God, would you help me to get to four? And, and, th- and then maybe in a few days or a few weeks get to be a five or a six. And something begins to happen because your heart begins to be a little bit more sensitive and everything begins to change and you begin to see everything differently. It kind of works like this. Uh, our first church up in, in Bishop as senior pastor, there's this wonderful couple in the church, Floyd and Esther. They're an elderly couple. Floyd has been the head usher for like 150 years. I mean, they've been there forever. They are just lovely, lovely people. Floyd's dying of cancer. And so I'm sitting in my office one day, and there is just that sense that the Spirit just kind of says, you need to go see Floyd. And I've been praying, God, help me to reach lost people. Help me to just be open, to be ready, to be sensitive. You need to go see Floyd. Okay. And so I get in the car, and and I'd called and Esther to answer the phone. It would be all right if I came by to see Floyd. I know that we're probably down to just days. Yeah, that'd be great, Pastor Rob. So I'm driving over there, and as clear as I've ever heard God speak in my whole life, I hear God say to me, you need to ask Floyd if he's ever invited me into his life. You need to ask him if he's saved. I said, God, I'm not doing that. He's my head usher. He's been in church forever. Of course he's saved. You need to ask him if he's ever repented, if he's ever opened his heart to me. I'm not doing that, God. I'm sorry. That would be offensive. It would be embarrassing. All the way to Floyd's and Esther's house, God and I are fighting. You need to ask him. I'm not going to do it. You need to ask him. I won't do it. And finally, I get there, go inside, and we have a little bit of conversation. And I begin to say to Floyd, you know, the days are getting pretty close, aren't they? He said, I know they are. Floyd, I just need to I just need to ask you a question. Have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? Have you ever asked him to forgive your sins and take up residence in your life? And big old tears began to flow down his face. And he said, no, Pastor Rob, I never have. I said, Floyd, how could you not? You're my head usher. How could that not have happened? And he said, because nobody ever asked me. Nobody ever asked me. Well, Floyd, I'm asking today, would you like to invite Jesus into your life? More than anything. And Floyd got gloriously saved and two weeks later he stepped into the the gates of glory see I think when your temperature begins to raise a little bit there's just this growing awareness of how God is moving and what God wants to be able to do and so pray that God would raise your spiritual temperature your temperature towards people who are far from him just one degree 
Secondly, then, what's the temperature of the church here? What's the temperature towards evangelism and outreach in the church here? Would it be possible that you could somehow just take what the church does here and just turn it two degrees toward the community, toward the others? It kind of works like this. A couple of years ago, one of the churches here on the district, they'd had a, a Thanksgiving banquet for like ever. They just loved doing their Thanksgiving banquet and it was all the good people in the church and everybody brought their best dishes and it was just amazing. And so the pastor one day just asked the congregation, what would it be like if we maybe did a little something different? They said, like what? Well, why do you do this Thanksgiving dinner? Well, we've just always done it. We've always done it for us. We're thankful. We're thankful people. He said, well, what would you think if, if we just turned it just a little bit and we sent out invitations to all the school teachers, the administrators, the principals, and just said, come to our Thanksgiving dinner because we want to give thanks for you. They said, that sounds good, Pastor. Let's do it. And though they sent out all of these invitations to teachers and principals and they didn't know if a soul would come and more than 50 teachers and administrators and principals showed up to their Thanksgiving dinner and the church said we are thankful for you and it began a relationship in the school where they began to be able to partner with the school in ways that have yielded great fruit where they just took something that they were already doing and just turned it two degrees and it began to change the culture and the mindset of the people in the church. Thirdly, then, what's your story? You know, everybody's got a story here. And not everybody's story is about drugs and alcohol and time in prison and all the rest of that. I've got a story. And, and I grew up my whole life in church. And I was just one of the good sheep my whole life. But I was a sinner who am saved by grace. And I'm thankful to God. And so have you ever taken time to just write down your story so that you could tell it in an elevator between the first and the third floor in one minute? Everybody here needs to be able to tell their Jesus story in one minute where you could just tell somebody very simply. You know, I came to an awareness one day that, that I just wasn't where I needed to be with God and I was broken. I was, I was far from God. And I invited him in, and he came into my life. And we began a relationship, and it's changed everything. He's changed my mind. He's changed my heart. He's changed my whole world. See, all of you need to be writing your story. And so then you get together, maybe you show up to Sunday school, and the Sunday school teacher's got a lesson, but before you even get started, so what's your temperature? How you doing? What's your story? Let's tell our stories. I've done that in my own advisory board where I required all my advisory board members to write their story. And in one of our advisory board meetings, I said, we're all going to tell our story. So, Sean, you got to tell your story today. you got one minute. You better not take two. <laughs> one minute. Tell your story, your Jesus story. We need to be able to learn to do that, and we pray that God will help us. Well, then... The next thing, who do you know? Do you have a list? 
Do you have a list that's written down somewhere on your refrigerator, on your mirror, the people that you know that are far from God? And, and then the next thing, what could you do to just expand your circle of influence? where you could reach out to some people, begin to build some relationships and, and just begin to keep expanding and expanding and sharing with people. You just never know. Not too long ago, Debbie and I were in a restaurant and, and the server came and took our order and when she'd finished taking our order, we just looked at her and said, you know, when our food comes, we're going to pray for it. Is there anything in your life that we could pray for? And she said, oh, oh, my, oh, my, I've never heard anything like that in my life. And she just turned and walked away. I thought, well, that wasn't what we thought it would be. <laughs> About five minutes later, she came back with a whole page of prayer requests. I'm desperate. I'm desperate. And she just settled in with us. And we just prayed right there in the restaurant. And it was just this amazing time because we just began to say, God, could you help us to just kind of expand our circle and think that anybody could be in our circle? And then lastly, who are you praying for? Like every day, like all the time, you got your list and you're praying for them. And you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray. And you can't make anybody to come, come to faith but you don't have to stop praying. And you can pray till the day that Jesus comes back. Amen? And we just keep praying for people that God would move. And so tonight, we need to do two things in, in kind of bringing all this to a conclusion. Number one, I can't tell you Floyd's story without asking you. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you invited Jesus to come into your life? Have you said, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way that I've lived. I'm sorry that I've been the kind of person that said, you're not going to be the boss of me. Have you repented? Have you invited him to come in and fill your life? Have you done that? And so I want to ask everybody right now, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, everybody in the place, bow your heads and close your eyes. And quietly in this moment, I'm asking you now, just like I asked Floyd, have you asked Jesus into your life? And if you haven't, and if tonight you'd like to be able to say, I did it. Tonight was the night that I gave my heart to Jesus. Then I'd just like to ask you to just look up at me right now. Just look me right in the eyes. Anybody? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this moment. For people who have come to understand how much you love them. 
and that you would do anything to draw them to your heart. And so for those who in this moment have have acknowledged, I am asking you into my heart, Lord Jesus. I'm asking you to forgive my sins. I'm asking you to start something brand new in my life. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would just be with them and that you would bless them. Help them in this journey now, we pray. Give them the confidence of the decision that they have made. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. I want everybody to look up. Now, to those of you that that looked at me, that raised your head, I want to just encourage you tonight or tomorrow sometime, just text Pastor Rob. I did it. Or walk up to him tonight and you don't have to make any big deal. Just walk up and I did it. I did it. And he'll come alongside you and he'll help you. You can begin to walk together and you can begin to grow in the grace of Christ that will change everything in your life. Second order of business then. Tonight, you now know who Jesus is. He's not hiding in the shadows. He has made himself clearly visible. I am the missionary God. And I have called you, my good people, my faithful people, not to just be sheep on a hill, but to join me in the great mission. To become sheep hunters. To be a part of Christ's redemptive mission in the world. And I don't have that all figured out. And we don't have a program to do it. Because as you saw tonight in the scripture, it is messy. And it's organic. And you all just kind of figure it out together. In your families, around your tables, and in board meetings, and committee meetings, and in worship services, and all the things that you do How can we figure this out? How can we be the missionary people that he's called us to be? And so without any plan and with with no training, but we talked about that, that he filled them and sent them. He filled them and sent them and that he will fill you and he will send you and God will be in it. Amen? God will be in it. And so if that's your desire tonight, again, with no music, know anything. I'm going to pray a short prayer. And if that's what you want, if that's what you want to be a part of, then I'm just going to ask, come and join me. Let's just be the missionary people, wherever that would take us. It may never lead you outside of Tehachapi, or it may take you to places you never imagined. All I know is I'm going to follow Jesus. Amen. So, Lord God, we thank you for sending your son in human form. And, God, we're we're sorry for the times that we've been blind when we were like the Pharisees and the scribes who grumbled and complained because you were spending time with the messy people who were desperately in need of the love and grace that you had for them. But, Lord, we're so clear tonight on who you are and what you've come to do. And that you've invited us into the greatest mission 
forever. That together we would figure out what it means to take the good news of the gospel beyond these walls and to be Christ in the world. And so, Lord, bless us, empower us, and send us for your glory. Asking all these things in your name. If that's your desire, just come on. You're already coming. You know what to do. Just stand, come forward, whatever would be in your heart. Just, just say, I'm in. I'm in. This is who we are. This is who we are. And so take a hand, because we're all in this together. The good news is you don't have to do it by yourself, and you couldn't do it by yourself. But together, we can do it. Amen? In fact, there's that old saying, we are better together. We are better together. And so, Lord Jesus... We are so thankful tonight. You are a great God. And we're so glad that you didn't just stay up there in heaven where it was safe and comfortable. But you came down among all of us broken Corvettes to show us what we could be. And you've showed us love. And so now then you've called us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Something redemptive. Something transforming. Lord, we know that there's a whole city and a valley and a desert and the valley below and there's just lots and lots of people that don't know your name tonight. They don't know where you are. They don't even know that they're loved by you. But God, we want to we be the people that you could use to reach them. And so Lord, may your hand be on us. May your anointing be on us. And so I pray that you would be with these good people, bless them and use them for your glory as your missionary people, as your missionary church. And we ask these things in your precious holy name. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And if you would desire, put out your hands and I offer you this blessing this evening. May again the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he remind you every day who he is so that you can show him to others that don't know him. And so may you be blessed and may you be sent in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And everybody said... God bless you. Go in peace. Love you all.